on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today in our show, we're going to talk about the Durham Report, huge fork in the American road. Tom Glass joins us to talk about the Texas legislature and every issue we will talk about is relevant to every state in this country. And the issues are, they really are many of them the same around the country. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about Durham, abject corruption exposed, now what? And the border and the debt ceiling, should there be a deal? And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. So here's the deal. On the Durham report, you likely saw the story that the John, John Durham finally released his report yesterday, last night, and it was, this is a report, he was in charge of doing a special investigation into the question of once we all figured out there was absolutely no Trump Russian collusion at all, this is what Mueller was forced to acknowledge um, after years and, and millions of dollars spent, that there was no collusion at all. John Durham's job was looking into how do we get started? How do we get down the path of an investigation that cost literally not just lots of money, of course, paying prosecutors and, and district attorneys and, and I mean lawyers throughout the DOJ, FBI investigation hours. You know, the question of how the whole thing got started uh, was John Durham's job. His report, I will tell you, it's, it's an amazing thing we talk a lot about today. On the one hand, the report reached a conclusion that every sentient person in America already knew, which was there never was any predicate at all, any justification at all, any basis for the FBI or the DOJ to even think that there was a connection between Trump and Russia, that there was any Trump-Russia collusion at all. In fact, it turns out from this report that not only was there no basis at all, but that very high-level players in this country, including then-President Barack Obama, Biden, now our current president, then-Vice President, along with uh, numerous other very highly-placed officials, including John Brennan, knew, they knew that there was nothing to this at all except the entire story was cooked up by the Hillary Clinton campaign in an effort to help her win the election. We're going to talk a lot about this today because it doesn't only signify that you know we had a, we have a major corruption problem inside the Department of Justice, a major corruption problem, but you also it's it's a window on the mindset of the. Obamas and Bidens and John Brennan's of the world, they believe they're entitled 
to have power to control you. They will do anything to get continued control over America to stop the Trump agenda. There are just so many avenues uh, we need to go and talk about the story today. I'll tell you uh, two quick things about and then we'll go to our guest who's going to join us via Skype. One is that on it's so funny how busy the last uh, 24 hours have been. So just yesterday, um, I was uh, blessed to have the opportunity uh, at a large meeting here in Dallas to be the moderator, uh, the questioner um, of their main speaker guest, which was con- former Congressman Louis Gohmert. So Louis Gohmert and I sat on stage talking about, you know, these issues. This is before we knew the Durham report came out. It wasn't, it wasn't even out yet. So we're talking at this, you know, in this uh, event at lunchtime yesterday. And at that time, I asked him, given all the corruption we already know is inherent in the conduct of the DOJ and the FBI, how they go after the January 6th uh, accused people as though they, they were, you know, a, a danger of any kind, which nearly not, not, they were not a danger. It was not an insurrection. It was not a danger. But they are on a mission, the FBI and DOJ, on a mission to destroy the lives of anyone who showed up in Washington on January 6th in order to support Donald Trump. So I said, you know, based on, and yet, and all sorts of other truly nefarious wrongdoing, actual violent conduct isn't even investigated. And if it is investigated, no one gets arrested. And if they are arrested, charges don't flow. We had a great conversation about that. And Congressman Gohmert was sharing the view that I also hold, which is this is an agency, the DOJ, obviously the FBI is a bureau under the DOJ. They are unsolvably, incurably corrupt. They are so determined to bring, they are leftists in mindset, whether it was when President Trump was president or now, or previous under President Obama, now under President Biden. There is such a political bias in their agenda, in their prosecutions, in their actions, that is simply incurable. The only answer for America is to have, when you have people in charge of the country again who actually respect law and order it is to which would include the the white house and the house and the senate there needs to be a thorough dismantling and reconstruction of the department of justice and the fbi or we will never have the american guaranteed rule of law so on the one hand the durham report you know was helpful to that to make that point for everybody you know you can now see they just they there was nothing there was no reason at all none at all to even launch the investigation but they did it anyway and they kept up the pretext they kept up the fraud the farce nearly the entire tenure of the trump presidency very much you know causing him to be unable to carry forth his agenda, which really means what they were doing. They were interfering with the agenda the American people chose in the 2016 election. Couldn't happen because we had headlines from day one, even before President Trump took office, claiming that there was deep corruption, suspicion. And just think of all the people who knew. We'll hit more of this later. So on the one hand, it's great this story is out. On the other hand, a very close friend of mine who's um, a way Washington insider, he, he texted me earlier today just to say, you know, Durham went soft. Durham didn't really do what he's supposed to do. And his point was... What he's describing, when he says there was no predicate at all, no justification at all to launch the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, to do the investigation, to continue, you know, filling headlines for three years plus, but nothing in the Durham report, 
even mentions the notion of who should be prosecuted, who should be investigated and prosecuted. And I'll tell you something else to think about. I got to wrap up the first five and get to our wonderful guest. But here's the problem when you have a, a the, the nation's leading law enforcement organization, the Department of Justice, along with their allies in the CIA, John Brennan, fully aware of the whole time, fully aware it was a farce, a hoax, a fraud. There was nothing to this collusion uh, claim between Trump and Russia at all. And he hangs in there running the CIA. So that agency also corrupt. The question for America is, who's going to make it right? Who's ever going to have the authority, the willingness to investigate these people? Because many, many people belong behind bars as a result of what was brought out by the Durham report that was issued yesterday. By the way, a link to the report, if you want to read the whole, I think it's 306 pages or something like that. A link to 316 pages. I link to it at our website, americacanbetalk.org. But this is you cannot overstate the importance, the significance of what we are uncovering, not just as to Trump's presidency and the corruption to the core of the DOJ and FBI, but it's even bigger than that. What you're starting to see is a window on the, what I've been calling on my show, the absolute takedown of America as founded by the anti-American left in this country, the Marxist, socialist, communist left in this country that are proceeding full bore to get complete control over America, to take away all sense of freedom. And they're on a roll right in front of our very eyes. And this report and the conclusions you can logically draw from it ought to make more Americans wake up and recognize we have a serious, it's a serious, serious time in America. Much more on this later, but for now, that's my first five. Okay, so joining us is a gentleman named Tom Glass, and he's a, um, he is, I think he's the head of, but he, there's a group called TXCE, Texas Constitutional Enforcement, uh, org, and he runs a great series of articles, uh, blog posts, uh, that deal with the progress of things in the Texas legislature. And before we bring him on, which I will do in just a moment, we have huge issues pending in the Texas legislature. I mean, really big issues here in Texas, you know, the border and uh, genital, you know, manipulation. Well, I, I like, well, anyway, genital mutilation of children, whatever, how way you want to describe that. I mean, really big issues. They really are relevant all around the country. And, you know, I'm quite often telling you that as we look at the Biden administration's conduct, that you cannot look at the Biden administration's failure to enforce the border and think, well, they probably meant to enforce the border. They just didn't realize their policies wouldn't work. Or once they saw the problem, they couldn't figure out how to fix it. All this mess at the border. You know, the Biden people try to act like they can't figure out why people are so upset. And I've been saying to you about the Biden administration, and I am equal uh, you know, an equal opportunity critic of anyone in politics. Many things in the Texas legislature are not happening that should with a Republican governor, Republican majority in the House and Senate, and they deserve the same assessment. No one gets to say, well, we were going to do the right thing, but the rules got in the way. The process got in the way. We, we meant to fix this, but we just, you know, we just couldn't do it. Same standard applies. The people in charge, the people who we elect to government, they do have the authority to pursue the agenda items they care about and to get them done. And when they don't get them done, they need to be held accountable. Now we have joining us, I believe we have Tom Glass on Skype. Hi, Tom. Howdy. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? Doing great. 
good. Okay. And I have Emilio up your uh, microphone a little bit. Okay. So first of all, you, uh, Tom, I texted myself. We were driving all day today. So I had to text myself the latest content from your um, from the website, uh, Texas Constitutional Enforcement, which I love. And I just want to run through, if I may, uh, kind of the top issues, I think conservatives at least, in this Republican majority state, the GOP uh, priorities, where are we in the Texas legislature? And I'll begin by reminding our listeners here in the great state of Texas, unlike many other states, we only have a legislative session, a real session, six months every other year. We don't, you know, we thought maybe we'd prevent them from passing a lot of bad laws if they couldn't be meeting year-round incessantly. Uh, but anyway, so we're in session right now, and I think we're two weeks from the end or something like that. So, right. yeah, tell me where, where are we again? How, how much longer? And then what's going on? Well, effectively, uh, if we don't get something done by the end of next week, we're done. I think the actual final date is Monday or Tuesday of next week, uh, the week thereafter. Okay. So I'm going to run through, I have a bunch of, I texted you or emailed you these priorities I want to ask about, and then I want to hear what you think matters down there too, things that aren't getting done. And I'm kind of, I mean, I am really less patient than I've ever been with the explanation you get off, which is, well, we were going to get it done, but you know, some committee wouldn't vote right or someone, I, I mean, as though the rules are a part of the 10 commandments that they can't, you know, they just, what are we going to do? The rules wouldn't let us. Anyway, let's start with where are we on protecting children from uh, gender transitioning? Yeah, well, that's a great victory. Yesterday, it finally passed the final passage of the house, uh, the bill that uh, stops uh, doctors from uh, doing treatments or surgeries or, or uh, the hormone blockers, et cetera, for minors uh, in the name of gender modification. So it's a tremendous, tremendous victory, uh, but led by two doctors. One in the uh, Senate was uh, Donna Campbell and the other was Tom Oliverson in the House. Uh, especially Tom Oliverson had to go through a gauntlet and we made it through and it's wonderful. Stephanie Click, the chair of the House uh, Public uh, Health Committee deserves tremendous credit for the victory as well. Wow. Okay. So Stephanie Click was supportive. She helped doing it this time. Okay. Yes. Okay. So on, on this issue, this is, you know, obviously a nationwide issue. And I don't think Texas would be the first state to protect children from gender transitioning, surgery and drugs and all whatever else they do. Is it something like seven or eight other states have already done this? Do you know? I don't know. I know that others have done it, uh, but Texas is now delivered. Yeah, we, we didn't leave. At least we're getting in the, the top half of the country. Uh, I, I love that. And I will say that I did hear it was mostly a party line vote, but there was one Democrat, I think state rep, who really gave a forceful, pretty eloquent speech in, de in, in defense of passing this bill. Were you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. She's out of Houston. I think her name is Sean. Uh, uh, well, it's Sean something. I think it's Terry or Theory, Terry, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she's out of Houston. And there were others that voted uh, along the way, but she gave the speech that was the fantastic speech about why she doesn't believe in going along with the destroying the lives of children forevermore in the name of uh, mental illness. Yeah. God bless her. She's standing up against the, uh, the, the party leadership. I know they yeah, were. It took a the, lot of courage on her part. A lot of sure courage. Sure did. Yeah. Um, 
I could say more about why Democrats would be advocating for this, but I won't do that this time. Okay, on securing the border, we all know that you know, Title 42, I guess, is a little bit in a legal flux, but you know, we have massive attempts to cross the border. There was one I thought pretty clean bill, HB 20. Um, is that right? And then, but yes. somehow that didn't make it. So where are we on that? Well, we're in the end game now. Uh, the speaker had two bills. One was HB 7 and the other is HB 20. HB 7 had more of it, the infrastructure uh, focus to get like more funding for courts and more court, uh, judges to process on some of this stuff. Uh, but uh, the, the good stuff, the, the most important stuff died with HB 20 in that vehicle. And so we're now in the Senate with the, the HB 7, the infrastructure bill, and I'm making the case to the Senate this week. We're going to have the hearing in, uh, on HB 7 on Thursday where we're going to try to beef it back up and put the things that the good things that we lost in HB 20 back into HB 7 and send it back over to the House for another try. Uh, and we're, we're uh, what our, my goal in the, this process, and we've I've played a fairly big portion in pushing some of this stuff. My biggest goal is to make sure that we give the governor of Texas uh, the support, the legal, constitutional, and logistical support and moral support that he uh, needs to do, uh, to continue to do what he started doing last week, which is repelling at the border. Uh, we've been after him to do that forever and ever. He finally did it last week, and uh, he it issued, you know, sent a tactical unit down to start going to hot spots, and we successfully repelled around 30,000 people down in Brownsville last week. Uh, and it's it's a heroic, wonderful day for the for Texas, and we want the governor to do more. And we and we we figure that the federal government will try to sue him over this, uh, or somebody will sue in the federal judiciary. And we're trying to give him uh, the resolutions and the constitutional arguments, uh, especially invoking the self-defense provision of the Texas, I mean, the United States Constitution in Article 1, Section 10 that says states can do what's necessary if, if actually invaded or in imminent danger. Well, we're beyond imminent danger. We're in clear and present danger here in Texas from all of the pathologies of the cartel's invasion of Texas. And... Uh, we want to give governor everything we can. And what we're going to try to do is uh, load up HB 7 with all the good stuff from HB 20, send it back over to the House and give it another shot. I, I suspect since it has so, the, uh, HB 7 has so much in it that the governor needs and wants that if the House kills it when the Senate sends it back over, that the governor will call a special session and will, he'll get what he needs uh, after that. Uh, we'll see whether or not uh, the Senate takes my advice here just a few days in terms of trying to beef back up and build back up what was lost with HB 20. That was a great summary, and I appreciate that very much. I will say, I think you may have seen it, but there was a, an episode of uh, Steve Bannon had on um, Laura Logan. And, you oh, know, yes. Yeah, and she was making the point, she was saying, you know, HB 20, this is the bill that was written by the true purists that just say, you know, period, we're going to enforce the border and that's it. And that she was making the argument in Bannon, you know, that, of course, the Democrats don't want to enforce the border. They more or less admit it. They they will not tolerate any border enforcement. They oppose it. And But she's saying, you know, don't let the Republicans off too lightly because they're watering down. They're not as, well, as I, adamant. I, I, I will say... I, I saw that piece by Laura, and she had found a website, which I, as a Texas Republican conservative activist, 
had never seen before. And it seems to be some website, and I don't know who it is, that was uh, had uh, it has contributors from all over the spectrum of the Republican Party. And it had a contributor that was pretty much of a squish on border that was uh, denigrating HB 20. Uh, but I think she took too, read too much into that one article. I think the Republicans in general are very much aligned. Uh, yeah, the speaker, I don't know what, what was pressuring the speaker to do what he did with HB 20. Uh, but I know I, I, I've talked to Matt Schaefer, who is the author of HB 20, the, who's the head of the Texas Freedom Caucus, wonderful man. And uh, he tells me the speaker really does want uh, border to get good border security out this session. I, I think I, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but we're going to test him again if I, if I have anything to do with it to find out whether he really is going to make it happen this time around. Uh, and I don't and. And I think if you give the, a vote to, uh, to the Texas Republicans in the House, they're going to unanimously come along. Uh, they know that it's that important. By the way, I will give credit to the Senate Democrats. We had two border Democrats on the uh, Senate Border Security Committee, uh, Cesar Blanco of El Paso and Juan Hinojosa from down in the Valley. And both have understood the dire situation that their constituents in Texas and the nation is under with the cartel invasion. They don't like calling this an invasion of immigrants, but they understand that the cartels are a clear and present danger to all Americans, and they are uh, they are stepping up to help. And so I want to give them credit. Uh, the House Democrats have not been as as uh, understanding, at least most of them, uh, and they've been on the wrong side. But but Senate Democrats are doing a good job in Texas. Okay, I was going to tell you really quickly, Tom. So the website that she found is really funny. Laura Logan found uh, is Texas GOP Vote, either .dot yes. com or .dot org. I forget. You know, it's really yes. funny thing. Years ago, they approached me, asked me to write for them. So it was fun. You know, I'm writing articles, blah blah. You know, they were good conservative articles. And then I submit an article that was in support of border enforcement, and I got a, a, a note back from them. We, you know, we we support. Uh, uh, friendly immigration policies. And uh, well, they're blasting me because I was basically saying, why don't we enforce our own border? And they wouldn't run the article. And after a few exchanges, I just thought I, I left writing for them because, you know, if you don't want to support, enforce the border, then if you don't want territorial integrity, then you're really, you're anti-sovereignty. I mean, anyway, you know that story. Uh, they, yeah, there's really a lot amazing. of people, a lot of good uh, conservatives have, have commented on and written for that. Uh, or website in the past when I looked over it. But it appears to me that the people that run it are old style chamber of commerce people that are open yes. borders types. And, uh, exactly and so right. that's, yeah. And, but that, that's not where Texas is. I mean, that is so such an outdated thing. That's not the facts on the, on the ground. Those people have lost in Texas. We're going to deliver actual border security and the governor is doing it now. We just need to give him the, uh, the backing he yeah. needs to yeah, I love the idea. You know, the, our governor can actually declare uh, on the constitutional provision. I think the one you mentioned, the the one that's in the federal constitution, to declare an invasion right here. And I think he's come close. He's declared similar-ish things, but not quite done yeah. that exact thing. But I'd he has an executive. He has an executive order in September called uh, GA for Greg Abbott dash uh, forty two, which has uh, de declared uh, an invasion. A, a cartel invasion and imminent danger, invoking Article 1, Section 10. So he has done what's necessary to get ready to be dragged into the uh, Supreme Court now uh, and to take it away from U.S. v. Arizona and immigration into self-defense, which is what th this issue is really all about. 
And uh, but we we in the legislature need to make sure we've got his back, too, because the people of Texas support the governor. And I'm sure the people of the United States support the governor of Texas as he fills the gap that the feds have uh, left open. OK, let's turn to two, three other issues. One is there are, were a bunch of election integrity bills, um, and I don't know where they where, where we stand on that. How are we doing in those? Yeah, I. Uh, a man's got to know his limitations. I care deeply about um, election integrity, and I have a group on Facebook called Texas Election Integrity. I've played in it. I actually, as a former candidate, I used the recount procedures of Texas law. So I, I do care, but I just have not had the cycles to follow that as closely. I will tell you that most people think we have not made substantive gains on election integrity this time. I don't think we've lost anything and we've done little nibbles at the edges. We're still in the end game on some of that stuff. Uh, Senator Betancourt out of Harris County, where we've had the biggest problems in, the, in 2022, uh, has been leading on all of this stuff. It, his, some of his bills are close to getting there, but not all the way. We had a bill trying to get us out of ERIC, which is this national database, uh, which has made it through the Senate. It was supposed to be on the House floor, uh, I think today, and somehow it got postponed. I haven't heard the details of that. But uh, in general, we're holding their ground on election integrity, but not making major strides is my take on what's happening in, in Texas this time around. Yeah. Okay. On that subject, I know there was a significant lobby. I don't mean like a formal lobby, but a large group of citizens several different ones down at the legislative session for quite a bit of time trying to push the idea that we just need to replace the machines not just get yes. rid of the eric system but get rid yeah. of the machines go to paper ballots and i read about this it's either in this world 147 157 countries that use paper ballots only right it is not right. impossible it's actually the norm and it was actually very it functions really well yeah. so but the, anyway, the group they, the group that has done that is out of doubt started out of dallas it's spread all over texas it's called texas first uh, and the yeah. senator that was leading those charged with legislation on that is senator bob hall right. but uh the thing is uh, the harris county uh republicans uh don't are not sold on that yet because Harris County is so big. They've been using technology to take care of the challenges they have. Uh, and uh, it, it's the Harris County has a great influence in the election integrity area and has uh, blocked that to a, a large extent. Oh, there's one other election integrity thing I want to talk about, and that is election integrity enforcement. We had this uh, really bad situation where the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals said last year that the attorney general does not have independent state-level prosecution capabilities under our Constitution. Uh, and uh, he stopped, they stopped the Attorney General from doing that enforcement right before he was going to launch some big prosecutions in Harris County. Uh, and and uh, that we've been trying to figure out what we're going to do ever since. I'm, I made the case, and we got a bill. Senator Hughes had a bill going uh, this session called, uh, which, which, which was creates a state prosecutor office underneath the judiciary. The the ruling of the Court of Criminal Appeals said executives can't do this has to, uh, prosecution in Texas because of the structure of our Constitution and that the judiciary has to be involved in the in prosecution. So we said, OK, we'll we'll just believe you, Court of Criminal Appeals. We're going to create an independent prosecution for election integrity uh, in underneath the judiciary. And that's bill was sailing through the Senate. Uh, we didn't we had a companion, a similar companion in the House. Uh, that didn't make it, but it was sailing all the way until a senator named Joan Huffman 
who is a former judge, uh, is pretty powerful, has killed that bill. I'm, I've already started trying to work with the governor's office to put that as a special session item because the leadership of Texas does not want to look Donald Trump in the eye and tell them they had the opportunity to enforce election integrity in the big counties of Texas uh, uh, this session, but let that go away. Uh, we've got to have election integrity in Harris County, Dallas County, Bear County, Austin uh, this time around, and we got to keep on pushing on that. And the, uh, and the big county DAs who are paid for by Soros are not going to enforce election integrity in Texas. And the Democrats know that. So we've got to get some state level prosecution. And that's a, been a failure in this session. Amen to that. Okay. There was another whole issue, which um, I don't know how closely you followed it, but I had a great expert on my show a few weeks, um, month ago, Kevin Freeman, was talking about the yes. idea there's a Texas bullion depository. For our listeners, very quickly, Texas has basically a bullion depository. It's a physical entity, a bank, where you can put your gold or silver, maybe other things, I don't know, but gold or silver, and it's like a bank. And what, what the uh, goal of this, of this current legislative session is, is to make that spendable, like allow a debit card to be issued. So if you have, you know, a million dollars worth of gold in the bank or even a hundred dollars and you want to go to the restaurant and or any place else and use a debit card, use a debit card tied to the gold that's in your in the depository. So if your dinner is fifty dollars, it just deducts at that day's market value of gold, uh, what that that amount of your ownership of gold in the Texas Depository Bank. And the reason that there is a Boyan Depository Bank, the reason this is so significant right now in America is is because of the push of the Biden administration towards central bank digital currency, CBDC. <clears throat> People say I say that too fast. CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. The entire concept being uh, the notion that you won't really have cash anymore. You'll just have kind of money that is all digital and everyone paying attention, at least on the conservative side, is warning this is a precursor. It is a fall over the cliff into having government control over your spending and your money and actually your access to your own money. So it's a way around the uh, central bank digital currency. So have you been following those bills at all, Tom? Yes, yes. I testified in favor of this, this bill in both the House and the Senate with Kevin Freeman uh, and Chris Bird, who is the legal mind behind this bill, uh, who's on our SREC, State Republican Executive Committee. The sad news is that I, I talked to Chair uh, Joan Huffman yesterday in the hallway. Uh, it, she's the one that has complete control over whether this is gonna get there in time. And uh, essentially, uh, she very brusquely turned me away, and it is clear to me she's not going to allow the vote out of committee after we had the hearing to get it out uh, to, over to the House in time. And uh, essentially, that bill is dead. Uh, that's the sad news that I have to report on that. Okay. On that subject, I know many of us who are someone acquainted with our lieutenant governor uh, were very late in the day, last couple of days, trying to say, you know, can you can you get her to move? Can you get her to? Now, I don't know what will happen there, but this is an example of the thing I, I talk about. I pr There has to be some procedure when you have a, a legislative body. You can't just have everyone, House and Senate, show up and start tossing bills around. You have to have committees, have to have some structure, some rules. But this is really a case. I don't know whether she, what her reasons would be to oppose it. But I think there is no principled basis to oppose it. I mean, I will just say that flat out. There's no principled basis to oppose this kind of legislation. Very, very troubling. She would have the authority just because. Right, I agree. By the way, 
Go ahead. By the way, I do uh, have another bill, which I think you have on the list to talk about, which is still alive on this monetary freedom stuff. And that is this right to use currency of choice, which we're going to add to the Texas Bill of Rights. Uh, the bill number is HJR 146. JR stands for Joint Resolution. That's the way you get constitutional amendments. We're going to add to the Texas Bill of Rights a recognition of our natural right to use the currency of choice to store our wealth and to use it in mutual exchanges. Uh, and that is still alive. We're, we've made it through the House, 139 to 2. Fantastic bipartisan victory, unanimous out of committee. Uh, we are now in the Senate committee. We're waiting on Chair uh, Charles Schwartner of the Business and Commerce Committee to give us our hearing and have the vote and get it to the Senate floor. We have until at the end of next week to get that done. Uh, we're, the deadlines are not as tight in the Senate as they are in the House. So that's still alive. And uh, on my website, on my blog at txce.org, we have a link about how to send emails to that committee and to, to Chair Schwartner to urge him to have that, uh, to file that and to do it. I will tell you that when I reported this on Twitter, the victory in the House, I, I got a better reach uh, on a, this social media post than any other I've ever done. We got over 700,000 reach, almost all the comments overwhelmingly uh, positive. Uh, in, 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 uh, very, very exciting, uh, this thing. And I think this, uh, this is the urgent backdrop that allows competition when they do issue the CDBTC uh, or they implement that. At least we have a choice not to use it and to use others like uh, gold and silver or cash or, uh, or private crypto uh, and, uh, and resist. And the thing is, people may ask, well, why would you put this in the Texas Bill of Rights, Tom? This is the federal government. Texas Bill of Rights doesn't control the federal government, which is the most likely bad guy. And my answer to that is that this, because this recognizes a natural right explicitly in the Texas Bill of Rights, it sets us up for a Ninth Amendment challenge. The Ninth Amendment says, uh, the United States Bill of Rights says, uh, we, we respect all natural rights, even if they're not listed explicitly in the first eight amendments of the Constitution. Uh, and that sets us up for a, a federal judiciary challenge to any attempts to take away the choice of, of Americans and Texans to financial choice. And so we think it's tremendously important that this happen. And if you go to txce.org slash blog and find the link to, to communicate to, uh, to Senator Shortner, Chair Shortner, that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, it's urgent that we make it happen this session. Okay, Tom, tell me the flaw of this. TXCE.org has this information. I urge everyone to see it. But what you're describing, this HJR, the Joint Resolution 146, if it were to yes. pass, if it were to pass, it ends up on a ballot with the people. How, where does it go from there? Yes. Yeah. This we have fall? to get two-thirds in two-thirds in both chambers, which is we're on track to do, and then it goes to a vote of the people this coming November. We have to get 50% of the vote to add this to the Texas Bill of Rights, and it will be a glorious day if we do. Okay. You know, I was just at a, um, I, it's been the most amazing several days. I spoke at a conference on Saturday. I spoke at lunch yesterday. I spoke out of town last night, and many people, you'd be surprised, how many people are tuned into this issue? You, know, you kind of think it's a little obscure, but actually it has to do with financial freedom. Uh, and it has to do with whether the government can monitor 
every dang thing you spend. I always make the right. joke about they'd know how many Reese's cups I buy every week because I like, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous invasion of your privacy. And even if people think now they don't care, they think, well, you know, that's not my top priority. You will when your financial freedom is gone. You will care. And I know Kevin Freeman is trying to push the same legislation uh, in Oklahoma and maybe other places. In whatever state gets this going first, they're going to win the battle because I know in yeah, People that's right. I've talked to about it. Yeah, it's going to go up to the bank in Oklahoma then, okay? We can't do it in Texas. Texas loses out. It's just a, it is, I, I am, well, I, I'm losing patience with people who don't want to just stand for freedom. It's just a freedom issue, whether you're a low-income person or a, you know, working class, middle class, or whoever you are, it's financial freedom. Everyone should care. So I love Joan it. Huffman, Joan Huffman is the person who killed it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have a talk with her. No, I don't even know her, actually. But maybe I'll get her introduced. Okay, this was, you know, I'm sure there are many other bills we have to talk about, uh, we should talk about. But I love, I want to thank you for running this Texas. I actually, honestly, had never gone there. It's T-X-C-E, Texas Constitutional Enforcement, right? Dot org. Yes. Full of information, uh, just mountains of information, all these bills, follow up, here's where it sits, who's holding it up, or whatever it is, here's who you can call, it's really, really great, and I'll just, I'm sure you have many other issues in your thought about yes. this session. You want to hit one, one other issue? Yeah, the, the, the two other issues we focus on are on medical freedom, trying to make sure we never have lockdowns, mass mandates, fax mandates again, and the other issue is Texas resistance to the Great Reset. We are making tremendous strides in both of those areas this session, especially resistance to the Great Reset. The Texas Senate completely gets that corporations are trying to use financial power to run the people of Texas and bypassing them as our representatives in the process, and they don't like it. And uh, we're, we're making tremendous strides in putting legislation in place to stop it. Okay, I am thrilled to hear that. I actually did not know um, about uh, efforts to get off the Great Reset. And I've had all sorts of experts on the show trying to explain how bad the Great Reset is, and I didn't even know about this. So what are the bill numbers to watch there? Uh, there's so many. If you go to my blog and look at it, that, that I don't have time and I don't have it memorized. It's, we're making progress. There's, it's, it's, we don't need to push on this a whole bunch because it's happening. And so... But but go and you can see all the bills you know, on my blog and uh, it'll it, you'll be impressed. Okay, Tom Glass, this was you know what I when I ran into you at uh, some event political event um, earlier in the year and I remember thinking I gotta get him on the show. So I'm so grateful you turned out on short notice to be available and that you, it's just a really a peak time to talk with you because our legislative session is still hanging on. We may have a special session if some things don't get done. I'm thrilled to know we're pushing back on the Great Reset. That could, again, a freedom thing. I, I just am so driven by the idea that the people today, the, the patriots of today, you've got to stand up against all these attacks on our freedom. And if you don't see them as attacks on freedom, then you think it's oh, some kind of wonky policy thing, and I don't really care however it comes out. But you will care when you begin to recognize your freedom is gone. You will care then. So, yeah, even even Democrats in Texas understand that global corporations running to the people of Texas lives and bypassing them in the process is probably not a good idea. Let us hope they do. Absolutely. OK, well, um, Tom, let's stay in better touch. And so I could you're just doing amazing work. I want to thank you for all you're doing and for everyone listening. Whatever state you're in, you should read his blog because it'll give you good ideas about things either your legislature should be doing or maybe they are doing. You can get behind them. So, again, Tom Glass, thank you for joining me.
See ya. Take care, sir. Okay. I got to tell you guys, this is, you know, I do, I kind of live and breathe this show. I mean, I love the idea of America is founded. I love the idea of freedom. I love the idea of standing up for America. And I say many times that, you know, the federal government, we have a really, really big problem in the federal government because there aren't people in power, uh, certainly not in the White House, not in the Senate. And really, we have a very, very a small handful in the House who are really freedom fighters. And so the fight for the future of freedom in America really does live, will happen, will be played out uh, largely in the state legislatures around this country. Uh, Texas, obviously, huge freedom state, you know, kind of the, we consider ourselves the liberty leader of the country. Florida is like that. There are other conservative states where the legislatures are really the ones carrying the battle, carrying the day on issues of profound importance. I mean, just the ones we ran through in that very quick summary, uh, I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I didn't know we had a bill in the Texas um, legislature pushing back against the Great Reset, which is monumentally important. And you have, as contrasted with the federal level, where you have most of the Biden administration right on board with the Great Reset, very friendly to the World Economic Forum, very friendly to the whole globalist agenda. So the fight for freedom will really continue to rise up in the states. And, and I'm, Tom Glass is a guy who just obviously just dedicated. He actually ran for state house. I think three years ago, I'm not sure when it was, but very recently, uh, very a great candidate. He didn't happen to prevail, but a great candidate, a really articulate, uh, passionate explainer of the policies that really matter. Okay, so here's a story on this. I, I want to dedicate most of the rest of the show to the, uh, the issuance of the John Durham report. And I told you at the start of the show, this was a long anticipated report uh, that John Durham was assigned to give, uh, assigned to, to uh, investigate and then make a report about given there was no Trump-Russia collusion and the DOJ's finally had to admit that and, you know, no one in the bureaucracy, they're forced to admit that. They didn't want to, but they had to because there was no evidence, because it didn't exist. There was no Trump-Russia collusion. But his job was find out why, how did this whole crazy thing get started? I want to share with you some of the highlights of what that report says. And part of what happened when this report was um, issued just yesterday uh, was that Devin Nunes was interviewed um, on a Newsmax show. And I'll tell you that Devin Nunes is a hero, patriot, freedom-loving conservative. He's a hero. And so we're going to play little pieces at a time. But uh, this is what Devin Nunes had to say regarding what the Durham report found. Folks, the Durham report, it's in. It states, quote, neither the U.S. nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire hurricane investigation. That's the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, my friends. Joining me now is former California congressman and member of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes. Congressman, great to have you. Thanks for being uh, available at a moment's notice. You know, saying that the FBI launched the Russia collusion hoax with no proof, well, it, it's proof in my mind of how, how much our government has fallen. But also, here's, here's another aspect of this that's being reported. Durham finds DOJ and the FBI failed to uphold its mission of strict fidelity to the law in the Trump-Russia probe. You know what I'm not hearing, Congressman? I'm not hearing about any consequences for their breaking the law. Are you? 
No, and look, uh, Chris, this is just breaking now, and you know it's a over 300-page report. And you know one of the things that we need to do is, and I need to do as somebody who worked on this for many years, is I need to go and read that report. And you know, so far it looks like there is a lot of, it's brought a lot of clarity to some issues just in my first read of it. But you've asked this, you you focusing on the right thing, and that is, who's going to pay a price? And the answer is, no one's going to pay a price, but. That was always the case. I think I had said this this earlier this year that the longer Durham was there, the better it was. Hopefully Durham could, could get as much as he could in this report. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, the Biden administration controls what Durham does. And, you know, until Durham speaks, uh, it would, it's, you know, we're not going to know, you know, did he make these decisions or did someone pressure him? But it was always kind of a head scratcher when they brought these you know, brought these indictments that were they into Washington, D.C., and really Durham put the FBI on and the DOJ on trial there. So I take this from my early just perusing of the of the of the report, and that is that the Department of Justice and the FBI are solely owned by the Democratic Party and their propaganda machine. And this Durham report mm. ought to scare the living hell out of everyone because Think about this. It's only gotten worse since this time period. We're talking about 2016 and 2017 yeah, and 2018. One second, let's cut him off there. You know, Devin Nunes was always a hero during the time of the Trump administration and just always digging for truth and exposing lies. I want to, we'll probably play a little more of him, but I want to make a couple points that are, are just, you know, number one, the Durham report, as my friend and colleague who's very connected in Washington, texted to say, you know, the report does not advocate prosecution of anyone. It doesn't identify criminals. It doesn't say, well, obviously, you know, so-and-so lied. So it's, it's, it went light on the people who, who did bad things. Uh, I mean, really, really light on them. Uh, secondly, you know, it's great to write a report, and I'm glad the report is there. I mean, it's, it's a really good thing. Um, but I want to think back about, you know, how much – the frustration with people is – you get this report, so you say, oh, great, this proves once and for all, not only was there no Trump-Russia collusion, which we already knew, but there was no reason to even think there was. The entire concept, the entire concept was cooked up of Trump-Russia collusion, cooked up by Hillary Clinton as a campaign tactic to smear Trump because she wanted to be president. And think of all the people who knew. The people who knew uh, Devin Nunes was, is talking about, I don't know if we played that part or not, but he's, he's talking about there was a meeting early 2017, 2017, early meeting, Obama, Biden, Brennan, all fully aware, fully aware that there was nothing to the Trump-Russia collusion thing at all. So I will tell you that one Tack I want to take and talk with you about this is just to think about the times in the past where the truth finally comes out about something because somebody digs and digs and digs and they issue a report and then nothing happens. And this is one of the just, you know, scream level, nothing happens because most people reading this Durham report are saying, okay, well, it's great. We cleared that up. You know, I guess turned out they cooked up the whole thing. Who knew? 
all of these people are still free. All these people who cooked it up and, and knew it was false, they knew it was a lie, and they still pursued FISA warrants, and they still investigated people, and they still issued uh, headlines and comments. They let this fester during the entire first term of the Trump administration, and it did undermine him. It undermined him and his legitimacy newspapers come well you know he didn't really win he had trump collusion with russia he's not really president he cheated i mean this undermined him and undermined his ability to carry through his agenda which means undermine the ability of the american people to have their agenda carried out by the the leader the president they chose so the american people really suffered because of what these people did in the doj and then think of the other times this has happened i was thinking about this just getting ready for the show today uh one was when obama and holder Back in the Obama era, Obama and Holder cooked up this whole fast and furious gun running operation. And if you are didn't know about that or you've forgotten about that, this was Obama and Holder deliberately setting up the trafficking of guns over the southern border, getting them into the hands of the cartels and other criminals. American agent, an American, I don't know if it was ATF or border agent, killed by a Mexican cartel guy with an American gun and the entire purpose of Obama and Holder cooking up this gun running operation, which became known as Fast and Furious, was because, as all leftists do, the Obama and Biden administration, along with Eric Holder, the then Attorney General, they want to take all guns away from the American people. It was a ruse. It was a trick. It was a lie. It was a, it was a plot to make American gun manufacturers look irresponsible and dangerous so they could pursue their gun grabbing, taking away guns from lawful American citizens. And so there was actually an investigation, Fast and Furious, an actual investigation and a white paper reduced, uh, produced eventually by the Oversight and Reform Committee, the House Oversight and Reform Committee, chaired at the time by Daryl Issa. This was a 2012 report. And they issue this report and they, they paint, they, they you know, connect the dots. There's nothing left in doubt. You can see Obama and Holder cooked up gun running and this fast and furious thing, put hands and the guns of the Mexican cartels, end up killing an American agent and other people, all for the purpose of their left-wing agenda to end private gun ownership in America. And everyone knows that the report is out there. No one denies it. Obama didn't issue a, hey, that's not true. Nobody did. They let it go. They, it sits there and nothing happens. And nothing happens. It's kind of similar to what I, I told you yesterday. I did this great uh, meeting with Congressman Louis Gohmert. And we were talking in that meeting about the idea that, you know, we still have the DOJ and the FBI hysterically tracking down every single American who stepped foot in Washington on January 6, 2021. But go back to the time right after President Trump was sworn in. And we had the inauguration in Washington, D.C. Uh, in January of, 20, of 2017. So Trump is inaugurated 2017. And you know, right after that, the alleged women's march, it was a radical nut job left wing march, but they showed up in Washington. They literally smashed car windows, smashed store windows, burned cars, shots were fired. I mean, it was a violent protest. And you know what happened to them? Because they're on the side of the left, nothing, nothing. 
You never saw the DOJ saying, we're going to use our video cameras. We're going to figure out how all these crazy people were here in Washington. You know, the Women's March, the anti-Trump march. The DOJ didn't care that there were criminal actions by people in Washington in 2017 and the alleged Women's March or any of the other lunacy of the, the protests by Antifa and Black Lives Matter in 2020. None of that mattered to the DOJ. They don't care. It was a left-wing cause. They won't look into them. They won't use their all of their street cameras to find people's identity and track them down and say, did you break a window? And, and, and just contrast all of that to how today's January 6th, today in America, the people who went to Washington January 6, 2021, including people in my show just a few weeks ago, we had Jaleese and Mark Middleton on, on a Thursday show, I don't know, four weeks ago or something. You can find it on our website, americacanwetalk.org. But the entire point of telling you that is this. When you have a DOJ utterly corrupt to its core, politically motivated to their leftists, they are as leftist as any leftist organization in this country, and it doesn't matter whether they have the shiny FBI badge or the FBI building and the, the history of the FBI supposedly being a law enforcement agency, they're corrupt. They, the FBI themselves, are corrupt criminal organization going after innocent Americans who showed up in Washington to protest an obviously stolen election and just letting it go for pretty much everyone who protested and burned police cars, burned police buildings, uh, smashed car windows, whether through Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests in, in 2020 into 2021 or back in 2017, the Women's March. And what this does, my friends, what this does to the people of America, it it makes people realize that this is no longer the America of our founding. This is no longer the, the America. We have rule of law and blind lady justice. We have a government so corrupt to its core that they are not even ashamed. They're not even embarrassed about fervently, desperately seeking down everyone who's uh, put a toe in the water in Washington on January 6, 2021, and because those people stand with Trump. And I want to do something today. I have, um, I do, I have more to say than I have time to say. But I, um, and I'm debating which point to go with. But I will. Okay, I mentioned the Fast and Furious. Just recognize nothing happened. Nothing. Obama, Holder, Biden. Nothing happened. Same thing with the Benghazi report. Trey Gowdy does his all these great hearing theatrics, and he poses really great prosecutor questions. And I'm gonna set you straight. And what happened? Who who was held responsible? Who got prosecuted? No one. And the growing frustration in this country for people who stay informed is that given the level of abject corruption that has emerged, that is evident to everyone paying attention because of the Holder Report, nothing will happen. No one will be held accountable. Nothing will happen. And this is why when you hear people starting to really, really worry about the course, the future of America, this is why. They look around, they say, who, if anyone, who in the world is actually responsible? Who is taking care of the American people? Who's enforcing the, um, you know, you know, the whole idea of the rule of law in America? Because the answer is, uh, really, the answer is nobody. The answer is just nobody. Um, and so I only have a couple of minutes before I got to get to my why it matters to you, but I'm going to be talking about this more. This is an unusual week this week. I, I had commitments yesterday for speaking obligations. 
uh, I have tomorrow and, and Thursday I have other uh, important commitments. So back on the show on Monday, when we have a full live show. And I, on my Monday shows, I attempt to not really ever have guests. I try to have my Monday shows just me, just be for me uh, talking to you about the American people and the, the country and, and what's happening to this country today. Um, so on Monday, I'm really going to dive into depth on, on this much more because it doesn't just reveal that Obama and Biden and Brennan and Comey and the whole lot of them struck, all of them are criminals. But it also reveals to you the depth of their determination to take down this country. When you see what Biden is doing at the border, he's abandoned it. It's just gone. He's abandoned it and everybody knows it. And he's playing along with some efforts. I have more on that subject, but I'm out of time, sadly, for today. I was going to half wait till Monday. But I want to talk with you about how to read into what the, what the real message is, the, the deeper message is of this report by Durham. The message is you better recognize we are in a country being rapidly overtaken and taken down by anti-American, radical socialists, Marxists, communists, leftists, taken down before our very eyes. That is what's happening. It's nothing less. It is nothing less than that. And until you see that, until you recognize and you make it your prism, your paradigm, through which you look at every single thing this administration does, unless you start doing that, you'll never understand what's, you'll never understand what's happening. It's important to understand the Biden team, the anti-American left, which is really the Obama's third term because Biden didn't know what day it is, but this entire administration is the next step toward the taking down of America. That's what we are watching. The Durham report, great example, great information, glad to know. Will anyone be held accountable? And I think everyone paying attention can figure out the answer is no. I have to wait till tomorrow. I want to tell you a story too about this, uh, the border deal. And there's a discussion about whether or not we should trade-off whether the Republicans in Washington should say in order to reach a deal on the debt ceiling because there's a debt ceiling standoff now and it's not good it's not good but you know whether the Republicans in Washington should say you know uh, President Biden until you secure the border we're not going to negotiate the debt ceiling we're not going to touch it we're just going to go ahead and I mean make the debt ceiling the trade-off I know a lot of people are saying that's a good idea. I'm not sure it is at all. In fact, I'm afraid it's a very dangerous idea. I think the Biden administration so badly wants, so badly wants to take down America that the idea of the, of, you know, defaulting on our debt and all the chaos that would flow is more the kind of chaos exactly what these leftists want. We could be playing into their hands by trying to tie border security to the debt ceiling issue. But I have to come back to that on Monday. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So it's our happy show today of the Durham Report, Huge Fork in the American Road. John Durham complete, completed his special counsel investigation of Russia collusion hoax, found no evidence backing the decision to launch Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation of Trump. Let that sink in. Durham found no evidence backing any need for the Trump investigation into Russia at all. Comey, Brennan, McCabe, Rosenstein, Mueller, they all knew that Russia collusion hoax was a Hillary, written, Hillary Clinton campaign stunt from the beginning. This is not speculation. They knew. They led Congress and the American people through three years of lies, 
all to discredit the man the American people elected as their president. No justice would be severe enough for this level of perfidy to the Constitution. Durham didn't deliver enough indictments, but he did deliver a huge indictment of a completely corrupt and dishonest DOJ and FBI. Good can come from this. And on Durham, abject corruption exposed. Now what? The DOJ FBI corruption is now so completely exposed, any adult with a conscience can see it. No sentient, objective American trusts these institutions to be unbiased or apolitical. There's no possible way to fix either. They must be dismantled, start over. Terminate every attorney, every agent. Rehire only after complete vetting and removal of candidates whose behavior indicated political politics motivated their official actions. Response to Durham's report should winnow the GOP presidential candidates. Any candidate who soft pedals this level of corruption is inadequate, is inadequate for the job. Any candidate who doesn't call for dismantling both institutions doesn't grasp the problem or doesn't care. Durham's report will further solidify Trump's support. And the border and the debt ceiling deal, I'll tell you more about it on Monday, but keep an eye on the debt ceiling negotiations. Standard assumption, both parties do not want the U.S. default on the debt. Hardball negotiations until compromise forced by mutual desire to avoid default. But why does anyone think the radical left does not want a U.S. default? Default will bring further financial chaos, a Wall Street mess spilling into Main Street. Chaos, lawlessness, financial collapse. Those serve the leftist goal to take down America. Cloward Piven was always about burdening the American system until it collapses. And this is what the left is doing right now. The leftist cabal is increasingly exposed as a force of malevolent, Marxism. They are running out of time against the American awakening, a consequential summer ahead. And I'll close by telling you this. I had a, I get, last night I had a, a speech out of town, a great group, a really strong group of uh, conservatives. And so it was a great conversation. You know, I do a lot of Q&A. It's very fun. But at the end, this one woman asked me, we're out of time, like the, the place we had, the venue was closing. Um, but this woman said, her last question was, why do they want to get Trump so badly? Why? Why is, why is the left, because I talked about the Durham report a little bit, even last night in this speech, the report just came out, but I, I did a little bit on it. And she really, she stayed after the meeting to talk about that. And that's what I want to kick off with on Monday, to have more conversation about why in the world the left in this country is so hysterically determined to keep Trump out of the White House. Why? My friends, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our show is America Can We Talk. You can find everything we talked about online at our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. I thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-